Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and we thank you that you are the Lord who is good and your steadfast love endures forever. And we thank you for these words of life you have given us to lead us in the paths that you have chosen for us. And we confess that our hearts often wander and we need your word to bring us back on track every time we go away from you. And we plead with you, O Lord, this morning that you open the eyes of our heart, convict our hearts, and we pray that you give us your grace to be greatly edified by your word. Let not a word drop on the ground. Do not let the enemy rob the word from hearing and submitting to the authority of your word. Help our minds not to wander off, for we are great wanderers, physically present but absent-minded. We confess our weaknesses and we pray for the supernatural work and control of the Holy Spirit on our minds and hearts as we listen to your word. Give me also the grace to preach in the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and give us all, O Lord, the grace to enjoy and be transformed by the power of your word. Build your church, O Lord Jesus. Remember your promise to build your church through the proclamation of your word. In your name we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We see that uh, the tendency of the modern Christians is to ignore the doctrines and focus more on practicalities. And that is what we see a lot in the Christendom today. Because uh, they think that doctrine is impractical. And they are not even interested in doctrines. They want something that is very simple and practical. So that they can understand and they find it to be very helpful. But what we need to understand is that that's not the pattern of how God builds his church. The pattern of how God builds his church is to first put forth doctrines before us, show us the truths, and out of which the practicalities flow. Without doctrine, there is no practice. And if you read carefully the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, that is how we find, you first find a couple of chapters being laid, doctrines, and then using the words, therefore, you know, recently I have given uh, to sisters in the expositional sermon uh, uh, teaching the assignment from Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12 begins with this word, called therefore which is the conclusion a lot of people are interested in 12 13 14 15 16 you know why because those are the practicalities and they think that it is easy to understand they don't want to work hard to understand the doctrines they want simple and milky and something that is practical but paul uses the word therefore which means the previous doctrinal truth that he has laid before the church is the basis why they have to put forth into practice what is being said. And I'm telling you that it is very hard for 
people to understand the previous chapters like 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And the word therefore is dependent on all the previous chapters. The reason I am telling you is that that is exactly what the author was doing in his letter. If you read carefully, you see that the author first proclaims the doctrine from chapter 5 till chapter 10 verse 18. That is the cluster of the entire passage. It is not something... Now, as I, told, as I tell often that uh, the, the authors of the Bible did not write uh, the books of the Bible in chapters and verses. They were divided later for our better comprehension. But if you look at the whole book, the whole chapter 5 till chapter 10 verse 18 is one chunk where he speaks about how Christ is supreme over the Old Testament priests. How Christ is supreme over the old covenant and how he is the lord of the new covenant and then he brings application practical encouragement from verse 19 and that is what we are going to say today and the title that i have given to my sermon is three characteristics of steadfast christians three characteristics of Steadfast Christians. What do I mean by steadfast Christians? Are they not the ones who are good in uh, marathon? They run well on the, you know, roads and streets. That's not what I mean, steadfast. It means that they live a mature Christian life. They keep growing in their Christian faith. They are the ones who are stable mentally. Emotionally, they are stable. Although at times, for a moment, they may be shaken, but they are solid people. It is hard for any temptation and difficulty to shake them. Nothing can take them away from the beloved bosom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because they are solid people. And the passage explains how to live that solid steadfast Christian life because today's Christianity I would like to tell you honestly is an emotional Christianity to a great extent it's all about emotions it is all about emotional bubblings, feelings and how you feel on the outside, on the inside and when any temptation and trials come they're easily falling away because what they hear constantly is on emotional boosting not rooting them, not strengthening the innermost person so that they would live a steadfast Christian life. And we see here the author of Hebrews presenting us great truths about how steadfast Christians live. And if you want to live such a Christian life, which we see as a rare sight in our churches today, this is what we have to be doing by the grace of of the living God. The very first characteristic that I would like to present before you, the, uh, the life of a steadfast Christian is this. Steadfast Christians always draw near to God. Steadfast Christians always draw near 
to God. And before I read verse 19, I would like to read Hebrews chapter 7 verse 18 and 19 so that you would understand why the author is mentioning this. And this is what Hebrews 7, 18 to 19 declares. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Now hear this, he says that the old covenant was futile. Why? Because the access to the throne of grace was not to everyone. The priests were ministering in the holy place and only the high priest could enter once a year into the most holy place. So the access that people had to God is greatly restricted because of sin. Hear this carefully. It is not because God is unloving. It is not because God was not longing for his people. It is because sin obstructed people from approaching closer to the heart of the holy God. God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind. God is compassionate. But the Holy Bible reveals that he is also holy, holy, holy. The only characteristic in the entire Bible, right from Genesis to the book of Revelation, which is mentioned thrice, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. It doesn't say loving, loving, loving. It doesn't say compassionate, compassionate, compassionate. It doesn't say kind, kind, kind. It says holy, holy, holy. God's love flows from his holiness. God's compassion flows from his holiness. God's kindness flows from his holiness. In fact, I would argue biblically that God cannot be loving, compassionate, kind if he is not holy. It is the holiness of God which makes his love pure and appealing and captivating to the hearts of the sinners. So because of the sin which obstructed sinners from approaching the throne of grace, the heart of God, and because the old covenant was not sufficient in making a way for people to come closer to the heart of God, the Bible tells us that we have the new covenant through the work of Christ through which we draw near to the heart of God. And then after mentioning and establishing how sin is the biggest problem and how Jesus being our high priest and the work of Christ and he died for our sins once and for all. After establishing the work of Christ in a couple of chapters, arguing constantly and you will find a lot of repetition also. And it is essential because the work of Christ is a basis without which no one can come closer to the heart of God. And after establishing this, he says from verse 19. And you observe the first word again that is used there. And what is the first word? Therefore, which means based on the new covenant, based on the work of Christ, based on Christ atoning for our sins once and for all, it says here, brothers, 
Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It says here that in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19, Therefore, brothers, now he is not speaking to unbelievers here. He is speaking to the church here. He is speaking to those who claim that I believe in Christ. That I am a Christian. Now hear these people. The most easiest thing to confess in our present day Christianity is just empty confession. I believe in Christ. I believe that he died. I believe that he is Lord. I believe that he is God. I am a Christian. And the Bible says that if you are so, what you claim to be, hear this. It says that since we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now as I told you in my previous sermon, why the author constantly uses the word confident to enter the holy place because he is not writing to the Gentiles who have a loose understanding of the holiness of God. We are all Gentiles, right? None of us is a Jew here. Are we all, anyone here who is a Jew? All of us are Gentiles and we have a very loose understanding of God. We have come from religions, be it a religious country or a state or a family or even a secular one. We people have a loose understanding of the holiness of God. But the author is writing to Jewish Christians here. They knew who God is. They knew the law. They knew how holy God is. They knew that how dangerous it is to approach the throne of grace. How terrible it is to seek God and come into his presence. They knew that. They were afraid. In fact, if you read the book of Exodus, when God was speaking, many of us today are excited saying, God, you speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Is it? Do you know what it means to hear the voice of God? When the people of Israel, when they heard the voice of God, you know what they said? They said, we don't want God to hear speaking to us. Moses, you speak to us. We are terrified. We are horrified. We cannot hear the awesome voice of God, which is so scaring. These people knew God and his holiness and they were terrified because of their sin. This generation Christianity has no terrifying, awesome knowledge and consciousness of the presence of God because all they are worried is for their material problems, isn't it? All they are worried is my family problems and my financial problems, my job problems. This is the struggle people have. They don't know how terrifying it is to sin against God. And if you sin against God, what a horrifying thing it is to seek the face of the Lord. And these people knew that is why the author says here, we have confidence to enter the holy place. What he's telling his people, don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Don't live in insecurity. Don't be petrified because of the sin that you have in your life. 
approach god confidently boldly similar thing that we have seen even in one of the previous chapters uh, for example in uh, hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 and this is what the author declares here the word of god declares and hearken this carefully dear church heed these words the words of the living god let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need it says here that with confidence draw near to god don't entertain unbelief don't entertain fear insecurity be confident that god loves you be confident that god cares for you be confident that god will not refuse you be confident that god will not condemn you why what is the basis of the confidence what is the basis of the boldness to come closer to the heart of god you know he says here that hear this what he says carefully when he says that therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy place what is the basis of this confidence and boldness despite the sins that we commit against the holy god you observe the following beautiful words dear church you know what are the words that says here by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh do you hear this people this is the only basis for your confidence the basis for your confidence is not your moral performance it's not that when you do good how many of you when you live a super super christian life feel excited to draw closer to the heart of god super excited right when you are doing good when you are praying well studying well oh hallelujah you enjoy you want to come closer to the heart of god and you think that because you are doing well god loves you god accepts you and when you sin against god when you grieve god what do you do you hide from him and the way the lord called adam and say hey am where are you that is how we will be steven where are you esther where are you tuhina where are you azad where are you that is what we do when we sin when we are not doing well we hide we hide you know yesterday there was this seminar uh, evening talk on pornography a lot of young people were there and one thing that i was arguing from the scripture if you want to conquer porn this is what you need to understand and that was a very controversial statement and i know that it triggered something but i clarified also what i mean and i had to say this because a lot of people don't conquer sin in their lives because of this misunderstanding when i told them there was a translator who was translating in telugu and i was speaking in english and i told them here is a guy who doesn't watch porn and i am a person who watches porn whom does god love more i asked them this question whom does god love more the one who not watching porn and the one who watches porn this person right how does he doesn't watch porn he's a nice guy 
And Stephen, he watches, he does all these things. Yeah, God doesn't love me. God hates me. God loves this guy. What are we doing actually? And I made a very controversial statement that it's very difficult for people to digest it. God loves you when you don't watch porn. God loves you even when you watch porn. God loves you even after you watch porn. <gasps> what? And that is the terrifying biblical truth. His love for me and you is never dependent on our moral performance. Hear this. If it is dependent on your moral performance, Christ need not die for sinners. And it is very hard because these people think that because I watched this porn, because I committed this sin, God condemns me. God is angry at me. God is terrifyingly punishing me. God is against me. And I told them that the only thing that drives me more and more closer to the heart of God despite my sin because I know that my God never loves me based on my moral performance. In fact, the more I sin, the more I have the confidence to rush to God. The more I need God, the more I need His grace, the more I need His love. Why? Because I am a sinner in sin and I need Jesus. I need His love. Yes, he is grieved when I sin. Yes, he is delighted when I obey. Yes, he also chastises, disciplines when they sin. But he doesn't hate his children. He doesn't condemn his children when they sin. Because his love for us is not based on the moral performance. But only on his amazing grace. You know why we call it amazing? It is amazing because... We can do nothing to earn it and we cannot deserve it. Praise be to God for His amazing grace. Now here is something that I want to tell you here. Listen to this carefully. Many of us believe that Jesus is the way to the Father. And apart from Him, we cannot draw closer to the Father. And they think that in the context of born-again experience, if you want to be saved... If you want to become a Christian, if you want your sins to be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life, you only believe in the work of Christ on the cross. And they think that that's a thing of the past. After that, if I should be approaching the throne of grace and draw near to the heart of God, it is dependent on my work now. Christ's work is over. His work is in salvation. And now my work now if I want to approach God, now if I want to seek God, it all depends upon my performance now. If I perform well, I can pray to God more, I can come to God more. And if I'm not performing well, then God is not loving, God is not accepting me. That is the dangerous deception that I see in the Christendom today. And he's writing to believers here and he tells them that, let us be confident to draw closer to the holy places. Because in the old covenant, it was only reserved for priests and high priests. But brothers, sisters, under the new covenant, we all can draw closer to God. On what basis? Based on the blood of Christ. 
based on the body you see that the word that is used both body and blood is used right it says that by the blood of jesus and then later it says that through the curtain that is through the flesh the curtain was torn apart because the thing that uh, separated the holy place from the most holy place is the thick curtain and no one could enter the thick curtain except the high priest once a year that is torn apart now we can come to the throne of grace and that is happen through the work of Christ on the cross who shed his blood who offered his body who died who laid his life who took upon our suffering the wrath the curse the condemnation everything upon himself and i want to plead with you my dear brothers and sisters please do not take it for granted the work of christ on the cross as you keep on listening to this every day every week the gospel the gospel do not be bored i don't think so any christian who loves and understands the magnanimity of their sin the greatness of their sin and the beauty of the lord jesus christ will never be bored about the gospel if you understand how sinful your heart is and what christ has done for you on the cross eternally we will be singing the gospel thanking lord thank you for the blood thank you for the body and through which i can enter and listen to this brothers and sisters this is not just in the past even now i am a christian for more than 25 years been a pastor been a preacher even now the only basis for me to come to the throne of grace to god is the blood and the body of the lord jesus not that i am a pastor god is more excited to hey you are a pastor of ecclesia evangelical fellowship come 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 i'm more excited about your pastorhood oh you are very holy saint and your works are very good i'm very much pleased through your obedience come 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 i'm so excited about your obedience it's not that and that should actually give us the confidence that as i remember sai mentioning last sunday that uh, the reason when we have pastoral prayer is not that when pastors pray they're more closer to the heart of god and god listens to their prayer more and believers they are ordinary lay people god is not interested in them and that is what we see in india today a lot to a great extent i am telling you that's a false understanding people every believer it doesn't say therefore pastors let us draw confidently to the heart of god is that what the scripture says pastors right it doesn't say that it says what brothers come come on the work of christ god will not refuse you god will not condemn you yes you have sinned your heart is still depraved yes your thoughts are still evil yes your motive is still selfish yes you carry sin in your life but remember christ died for your sin christ shed his blood christ offered his body that is the basis on which god accepts you it is for this reason the lord jesus has given us the lord supper so that we would never ever forget the gospel and he said that this is my body offered for you this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin and what did he say later do this in remembrance of me what is the fallen condition of the man here 
the fallen tendency of the man here to forget to forget and i'm telling you brothers and sisters the day you forget the moment you forget the cross and the gospel god is distant from you and we can draw closer to the heart of god and i do this every sunday and we do this every sunday because we don't believe that every person who comes to the church is a christian and a born again believer and i want to take this privilege and tell them if there is any person here who has not repented of your sins and believed in this glorious gospel of the lord jesus christ hearing hearing and still not coming the lord is speaking to your heart today through his word and encouraging you exhorting you come believe in christ repent of your sins if not you will perish in hell if not you will be under condemnation if not you will face the wrath of god because apart from jesus there is no grace that god gives to people therefore repent of your sins and come and believe in the work of christ on the cross and god accepts you not because of you because of his son who died on the cross for us and it says here later by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh and you see what he says here and since we have a great high priest over the house of god now what is the house of god here i told you in the past that the house of god is the people of god and christ is the high priest and through him we can we can come and and why is this that he did now hear this carefully why did jesus die on the cross why did jesus shed his blood why did jesus offer his body why did he become a high priest over his house you know why this is the reason and the reason is this shall we all read that together the reason that is mentioned based on this based on this and this is a command people are you understanding hear this people of god a child of god loves to obey the command of god anyone who doesn't obey the command of god at least have a willingness he is not a child of god he is a child of the devil the bible says it very clearly that doesn't mean we live a perfect life but they love they take the line and this is what the word of god commands here what does it say let us draw near near to where to the mobile phones right let us draw near to the phones let us draw near to instagram or facebook let us draw near to people let us draw near to the church even it doesn't say that let us draw near to the books no it doesn't say that what does it say let us draw near to god now this is the whole thrust of the entire book of hebrews people do you know that a lot of people who read the book i i know one person who read the book of hebrews doesn't believe god loves him doesn't believe god cares for him he believes that he is under the constant condemnation of god god hates him god doesn't love him god condemns him after reading the book of hebrews he read in a wrong way and the devil helped him a lot how to misunderstand it he was next to him and he taught him how to misinterpret the book of hebrews that is not the thrust of the entire book of hebrews the reason is because when there are a lot of warnings in the book of hebrews that's what petrifies people scares people there are comforts and there are great warnings they are not normal warnings when you read those warnings you will be horrified my goodness what if i am in this state 
But you need to understand that as I constantly told you that the author used warnings, exhortations, encouragement, comfort to woo people, to draw people, to attract people to God, never to scare them away from him. And that is what he says here after mentioning everything. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Shall we all say this? Let us draw near. But he doesn't just say that. Come with any kind of attitude. He doesn't say that. He gives how to come also. <laughs> he gives the basis of how to come. Yes, Christ died on the cross. Yes, the work of Christ is a basis. But be careful how you approach how you handle this freedom. Hear this carefully, brothers and sisters. Be careful with the gospel freedom. The work of Christ on the cross has given us great freedom. That is to draw near to God. On one side, in the Old Testament, we see people were afraid. They were filled with trauma. Terrifying sense to approach the heart of God. On the other side, in the new covenant, in the modern Christians, the terrible tendency is to approach God with a casual attitude. <laughs> with a reverential motive. With light heart. And that is also very dangerous. He gives how to come. How to approach God. Whenever we come to God, this should be our great motivation and process how to come people he says here with a true heart in full assurance of faith what does it mean with a true heart sincerity we sing songs right we see that oh lord you have the words of life and all were you conscious of god were you sincerely saying that sometimes even the song leaders are lost with the sense of God, only focus on people. And that is greatly possible. And I've seen that greatly happening to a great extent in many churches. Song leaders only think about performance. How to perform well, impress people when there is no sincerity in their singing. Because they don't mean what they sing. And believers too, they sing, they lift up their hands, but their hearts are not truly comprehending. What is the meaning when I say, Lord, you have the words of life. Do we understand? Do we come to God? Do we say words? Do we utter prayers with sincerity and genuinity and truthfulness? Or do we just parrot the words because we have been hearing from the beginning. This is uh, constantly heard in these churches today. So it is constantly hearing what, you know, what, what will happen. We will absorb the words, terminology. So only the words are there. Great words. Doctrines, theology, everything. But there is no sincerity. There is no truthfulness. There is no genuineness. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus said, do you remember in John 4, 24? Those who worship the Father should worship Him in what? Spirit and what He looks for is truthfulness. And the psalmist says in Psalm 51, you desire truth in the innermost being. People, words are good. Words are good. Your voice is good. But what impresses God is not your words, not your tone. What impresses your heart is the sincerity with which you come to God. 
With truthfulness that you come to God. With genuineness that you come to God. With full assurance of faith. Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. I know what you say is true. It is not with mindless approach. And this is what we see today. Mindless approach to God. Mindless words to God. That's exactly what the latter chapter says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. You see what it says here. When it says with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The latter chapter says that in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Shall we all read this together? Very famously trumpeted. Again I'm telling you brothers and sisters. You know I've seen this many times. I sing songs. My mind doesn't go along with that. There is no sincerity. And sometimes I recite the scriptures. There is no sincerity. And I feel bad about it. How do I treat the word of God? How do I treat the songs of God? With such a casual attitude? Brothers and sisters, read this carefully and know what we are reading. Hebrews 11 verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's exactly what he says here when he said, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Believe that God exists. Believe that God rewards you when you earnestly seek him with sincerity and with faith. Let us examine our hearts, dear people, at this time. Is there sincerity when we come to God? Is there faith, assurance of faith when we draw near to God? And not only that, he says here later, and what does he say? With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, there is a very false teaching that is being spread in these days. And it falls into a very... A dangerous doctrine called um, hypergrace, yeah, which means that Christ died for your sins, He laid His life for you, so now you don't have to worry about it, you don't have to repent now, you don't have to be concerned about repentance and confession, you don't have to do anything now. He has done that, you just enjoy the freedom, but that is not what the scripture says here to the believers. He says that when you come. He says that make sure your hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Examine your heart. Examine your sins. Because God loves you, yes. But God take, doesn't, God doesn't take delight in sin. And if you come to, come to the heart of God and if your hearts are not sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And listen to this carefully people. Why do we take bath every day? Why do we take bath every day? Because our bodies become dirty. Right? Some people may be wondering, it doesn't apply to me because I bathe only once a month. Why do we bathe? Because we become dirty. Right? And hear carefully, dear church, our hearts are dirty every day by sin. Every day. And the Bible says that every time you enter, make sure your evil conscience is clean. And that is cleaned by the blood of Christ, by your confession. When you say that, Lord, there are some people, you know, families that fight together. 
Wife speaks very unsubmissively to her husband and husbands treat very harshly their wives. I don't know how they enjoy their personal devotions. I don't know. And they have a very good devotion. Hallelujah, Lord, I praise you, Lord, I worship you, Lord. Oh, God spoke to me today. God gave me the assurance that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Forget about sin. Nothing. Our God today is only... Uh, is a God who only thinks about your prosperity, about your, uh, um, you know, well-being and your peace and your joy. Only thing that, that is what people live in. Conf- people live in sin, but they don't repent of their sin. They don't reconcile. They don't confess, and they say, "God spoke to me. God is encouraging me. God is with me." What are you talking? I believe in the God of the Bible, and the Bible says that when you approach God. You need to make sure that your hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your body is washed with pure water. It doesn't mean that you need to take bath every time you pray. Okay? This all together is speaking that make sure that you are purified by the blood of Christ. And why did he say actually your body is washed with pure water? We Gentiles don't understand because we are not Jews. But if you read Exodus, let me read so that you can understand why it says body is washed with pure water. Because in the old covenant, this is what the word declares in Exodus chapter 29 verse 4. Hear this so that you would know the reason. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And what does it say? And wash them with water. Before they enter into the holy place, they need to take baths. Their bodies should be clean and they need to wear fresh clothes. That's how hard it was in the old covenant people. And verse 21, you see what it says. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments. Sprinkle blood. And maybe, I don't know whether there was dry cleaning at that time. Imagine sprinkling blood, gone. The cloth is gone. But that is how they treated, how holy God is. And this is the word of God that says that bathe them with water, sprinkle blood on their and also on their garments, and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his garments with him. And I believe this is why he is figuratively speaking here. How in the old covenant the bodies were washed with water, and the blood was sprinkled on them. He's taking this concept and he's applying to the new covenant believers that every time you come to the heart of God to prayer, to seek the Lord, make sure you are purified by your sin through your confession and trusting in the work of Christ. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, is this how you approach God? Do you fall at your knees? You know, some, you know, some of the pattern that we have, uh, you know, acts, right? Uh, the pattern of how to worship the Lord and do your personal devotions. A stands for what? And C stands for? People don't be so fascinated and think about acts. Because acts is good. Because if you put cat, it doesn't make sense. I say make it cat. Why? It's not that after you adore God, you confess your sin. What? Bible says that when you come to God, you need to be sprinkled. When you are washed by the blood of Christ and when you adore Him, that adoration is pleasing. It's not that all the junk you have in your heart, you forget about that. Because it is acts, right? We need to follow the pattern. Sometimes these people who come up with acronyms, we should be very careful whether it is a biblical pattern. And worship God and praise God and then come and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've done this. I say that cats, first confess your sin and then adore him and then give thanksgiving to him and then supplication to him. 
That is what? Because your sin should be dealt first before you deal with anything. Are you understanding what I'm saying, people? You know, some of us, why we don't enjoy our prayer life? You know, why don't enjoy the presence of God? Because we don't repent more. We don't repent. And I tell you that the person who repents a lot, I don't mean condemnation, repents a lot, confesses his sins a lot, will experience the intimacy of God even more than anyone. Are you understanding what I'm saying? A person, a Christian, a believer who confesses his sins a lot, who repents a lot, will enjoy the intimacy of God more than anyone. Because God loves holiness and that is why he laid his life on the cross so that he can cleanse us. And this is what I have learned to do. Every time if you listen to me, I confess more of my sins than prayers and petitions and anything because... I understand that who God is. And the Bible tells in 1 John 1 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. From all sin, it cleanses us. Now, here there are two things that we see in this passage the work of Christ. What is the work of Christ? Christ has done his work and it is finished, people. Are you understanding? It is finished. He has done. It is over. There is no need for him to repeat his atonement. It is done. The work of Christ is that he shed his blood. He offered his body as a great high priest. He made a way for us to come to God. He has done it. And what is our responsibility now? What is our responsibility? Draw near to God with a true heart assurance of faith and your evil conscience sprinkled with blood. That is your responsibility. And you know, listen to this carefully, brothers and sisters. Christ died so that he would bring you near to God. Bring me near to God. That is the reason he died. And 1 Peter 3.18 says very clearly, the righteous died for the unrighteous that he might bring us near not to get things from God, people. Listen to this carefully. Getting things from God is later. The Hindu culture that we are living, the pagan nation that we are living, is all about what do I get? What do I get? What do I get? And if you, there are two things that I often say that in India that drives people to do all religious activities. One is greed, the other is fear. And if you don't perform this, curse will come, condemnation will come, something bad will happen to you. So there is always this constant motivation of greed and fear. Greed and fear. And when these people grow up in this pagan nation like India, come to Christ, they live with the same mentality. Always led by either greed or fear. What do I need? Greed. This I need. This I need. This I need. Only there is a need I will pray. Or fear. If you don't perform this, if you don't do your devotions, and if you meet an accident, see, you didn't do your devotions. That's the reason you met with an accident. And this curse has come upon you. Condemnation has come upon you. Get rid of those pagan notions which are not biblical. The greatest need, hear this carefully people, is God himself. It is not what he gives. It is who he is. And that is the greatest gift. And I love the book of John, uh, John Piper which says, God is the gospel. 
The reason God died is so that he can bring you to himself. The reason he made us is for himself. God is the center. Christ is the center of creation. Christ is the center of his redemption. Christ is wine. He died that we may come closer to the heart of God. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, until you realize that God is the greatest need of my life, you cannot live a steadfast Christian life. You cannot live a steadfast Christian life. Are we faithful in our responsibility? Are we faithfully drawing closer to the Lord? Are we taking advantage of this gospel freedom? To come to God in our afflictions, to come to God in our sins, to come to God in our conflicts. Even in interpersonal conflicts, come to God and, and fight our battles on our knees. Even coming to God in our comforts, in everything. And those Christians who draw near to God in every situation, solid I say then. Solid Christians there. Solid Christians. Otherwise, you can never live a steadfast Christian life. The second fact that we see here of faithful Christians, steadfast Christians, is that steadfast Christians unwaveringly hold fast to hope. Steadfast Christians unwaveringly hold fast to hope. And that is what the word of God says here. Look into this. But before I read this, let me read in the same book, other verses, so that you would understand why he's saying again and again. Hebrews 3.6 says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You see, again it says, hold fast our confidence. Mark it in your heart. Our boasting in our hope. Mark it. That confidence and hope. And 3.14 it says, For we have come to share in Christ." Indeed, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Again, it says that cling to hope. Cling to hope. Don't look at the present situation now. Are you hearing this? It is not your present that determines your stability. It is your focus on the future. And all those unsteadfast Christians who are easily shaken, fallen, it is because their focus is on the present. And they don't focus on the future. And that is not how you persevere. You see again what he says after giving great warning in Hebrews 6, 11 to 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And the same thing again, it is trumpeted even in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19. And you see what it says here, 20, 23, uh, 20, uh, 19 after that following verse. Shall we all read this together? What it says? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is the second command he says. The first command he says, let us draw near. And, this, and the second command he says that, let us hold fast. Now, what should we hold fast here? What should we hold fast? He says that the, the thing that we need to hold fast, do not let anything divert you from this. Hold it. Hold it. What is it that we need to hold? The confession. We need to hold fast to the confession. And what is the confession? The confession of our hope. 
you know what people say today the preachers and the television speakers and the motivational books today is you pray what you want believe god is going to provide you if you are sick believe god is hold fast to the faith and see that god heals you see that god brings you out of that crisis god will provide you god will of course god provides you but the way they bring it is it is all about the present what god does for you now and you know the famous book of joel austin what is that your best life now bible doesn't say that in fact the bible says that your best life is there in the future your worst life is here <laughs> your worst life is here your best life is later while the false teacher says that your best life is now and you see what it says here let us hold fast to the confession of our hope and how should we have this confession of hope without don't get distracted people there are a lot of distractions in the world today sickness can be a distraction your office pressures can be a distraction family can be a distraction even ministry can be a distraction problems can be a distraction the bible says that without wavering focus focus on the hope focus on the future focus what is god is going to do in the near end and why should you do all these things why you know why it says here that shall we all read this together for he who promised is faithful that is why you need to hold fast to hope because god is faithful shall we all say this god is faithful and his promises shall never fall heaven and earth will fall away but my words will never pass away can a rain fall from can rain fall from heaven and not drench the water so my word accomplishes my promises and what is a promise it is not that you will have a beautiful life now what is a hope in the same book he says that in hebrews 11 13 to 16 you hear this what he says what is the hope that we have these all died in faith who died the old testament saints all please turn to hebrews 11 i, I think it is good if you look into the scripture there hebrews 11 13 to 16 if you don't have your bibles please to look into the neighbor okay um hebrews 11 13 to 16 you observe what it says here these all died in faith these old testament saints died in faith not having received the the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland do you see that they saw themselves as strangers and exiles and they were seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have had opportunity to return so he's speaking about you know if the promised land or if the the land on the earth is all that is what god wants to give they wouldn't have looked for another land and then he says you that but as it is the desire a better country and that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city and that city is not hyderabad that city is not new york that city is not london <laughs> and that city is the eternal dwelling place of god and that is a hope what he says here is 
focus on that don't focus here because in this world jesus said very clearly there are he doesn't say troubles many troubles i'm telling you brothers and sisters if you think you are suffering now you will have promotion in that you may have more suffering i am suffering every day i have to suffer not you may think that i was spondyl forget about spondylosis my greatest trouble is with my heart honestly there is no greater struggle in my life than my struggle with sin that is my biggest struggle more than vertigo more than cervical spondylosis my heart is the biggest problem and i had to confess it and i have to seek the grace of god and i have hope that the day is coming when this body will be free completely from sin and i know now that god loves me and i can draw closer to him so that i can persevere in my hope till the end what i am going to tell you is this people listen to this carefully don't decide who god is based on your circumstances now don't decide who god is based on your circumstances now decide who god is based on what he is going to give you in the future and everyone who says that i don't believe god loves me god cares for me it is because now and the bible tells you that that is not the reason that we cling on to i just want to leave 24 25 and read from verse 26 because that is in line with perseverance holding fast to hope now follow carefully quickly i will finish this section and it says here for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving please look into the passage the whole passage don't look into the faces don't look into anywhere look into the scripture for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins after hebrews 6 this is another controversial passage which has troubled many a lot of people get troubled because they end there the problem is the end there if you read the entire passage now hear this carefully if you read the entire passage the context doesn't speak about believers committing sins normally are you understanding it is not speaking about believers committing sin normally it speaks about refusing to persevere in their faith in christ after receiving the knowledge of the truths if you refuse to continue to believe in the atonement of christ there is no longer sacrifice and remember the context i told you here that these recipients the listeners of this letter were going away from the atoning sacrifice of christ to judaism and it tells you that if you go away and keep on deliberately committing sin who is there to forgive your sin who is there to redeem you from sin because you are refusing to believe in the one and the only true savior and that is exactly what he says after now follow carefully i prove it by the passage itself carefully follow that this is what he means here and that is what is very clear also after he mentions that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins now you see verse 27 but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries anyone who has set aside the law of moses dies without mercy on the evidence of true or three witnesses it speaks about the capital punishment that people find in the ot law and it says in verse 29 how much worst punishment do you think 
will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraged, sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. You see here, it is denying the gospel here. And those people who deny the gospel, who don't persevere in the gospel, they trample the Son of God. They profane the blood of the covenant. And they outrace the spirit of grace. And you see what it says. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. He cited Deuteronomy 32.3 here. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Citing again Deuteronomy 32.36. And then it says that, the vengeance is mine. The Lord will judge his people. And you see the caution here in verse 31. Shall we all read this together? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. People, this is not speaking about believers normally committing sin. And it is a fearful thing. You know what it means? If you deny the son and if you don't persevere in the son... Because of the trials and temptations. And if you give up believing in the gospel. You will fall into the terrifying hands of God. Because there is no mercy and grace apart from Christ. That is exactly what the Lord Jesus said in John 3.36. Hear this carefully. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son. That is believe in the Son. Shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him that is exactly what the author is also telling that if you deny trample the gospel the wrath of God will be there upon you do not refuse the gospel here you see the worst life now the best life now is later your worst life he says here in Hebrews 10 32 continue to read those verses hear this recall the formal days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. 34. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They lost their property because of the gospel. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better position and an abiding one. See, again it speaks about you lost your position, you lost your health, you lost your wealth, you lost everything because you were looking for the better position. And now you see what he says here in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Continue to suffer. Continue to endure persecution. Continue to persevere. Don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. And he says here in verse 36, for you have in need of endurance. What does he say is that you need more patience, more perseverance so that when you have done the will of God, what is the will of God? When you have suffered enough in this world, when you persevered in the gospel despite the temptations and trials and tribulations that you have faced here, you may receive what is promised. And that promise is not here now. And it says in verse 37, citing Habakkuk 2, 3 to 4, For yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And now you see the great encouragement that he gives here. 
This is similar to what he says about Hebrews 6, about those people who enlightened and everything, then they fall away, they will never return. He also says here that, you know, the people who shrink back, the Lord is not pleased with them. Those who fall away from their faith, those who deny the gospel, those who will not continue in their perseverance in their faith in Christ. And then he says in verse 38, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Shall we read this, people? But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And I'm telling you, dear brothers and sisters, there is a warning here. Because of temptations and difficulties in this world, if you shrink back, if you deliberately sin by denying the gospel and go back, you are destroyed. You are ruined. And this is a warning given to people here. And the warning is given because God uses a warning to preserve souls till the end. Be careful of the pressures of life here. Be careful of the pain of life here. Be careful. Don't let it cause you to fall away. But persevere in your hope. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Yes, God preserves people. God preserves. You need to preserve your soul as well. How do you preserve your soul? By not giving up your faith. By not giving up your focus on the gospel. By enduring, suffering, temptations in this world. And focusing on the future, future, hope and hope and hope. Yes, study hard and build your career. Yes, work and earn your living and provide for your family. Yes, pray when you're going through struggles that Lord have mercy on me and deliver me out of that. But remember, your uttermost focus is not here. Not your career, not your job, not your health, not your wealth, not your prosperity, not your comfortable life here. Your uttermost focus should be on the coming kingdom. If not, people, you will be sleeping when reading the Bible. You are not interested in the Bible anymore. If not, you will be drowning when you pray because all your focus is on here. The reason why today spiritual Christians who claim to be born again not on fire. There is no vibrancy. There is no blazing fire. There is no passion. You know why? Because all they are worried about is here and now not their future. It is not there. And that is why he writes here that the only way that you can live a steadfast life, cling to the hope. Your hope is not here. Your hope is there. And don't shrink back and are destroyed. But those who have faith and preserve their souls. So dear brothers and sisters, I encourage you, please take advantage of the gospel freedom and come to God. And in your trials and tribulations and even false teachings, many false teachings are there today. Do not shrink back from faith in the gospel. From focus on the hope that you have in the future. Cling on to him and you will live a steadfast Christian life safely till the end. Shall we all stand and pray? I will give my last point later after I return. But I think uh, this is sufficient for now. And as we stand together, <clears throat> as we stand together,
shall be Joanne Joe, you can help us in singing. Can I have the song sheet man here? Yes. Shall we all lift up our voice and sing this together? The beautiful song which really encourages us to persevere and sing, especially that. So put your hope in God alone. I will wait for you. It says here, put your hope in God alone. Take courage in his power to save. Completely and forever one by Christ emerging from the grave. I will wait for you. I will wait for you through the storm, through the night, through the temptations, through my pain, through my suffering. I will wait for you, O Lord. Where else do we go? Where else do we go? He is the only hope of our lives. Though my Redeemer slaves me, yet I persevere in him. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you. For your love is my delight. And people, let us sing this with sincerity. Full assurance of faith, have a heart sprinkled with the blood of Christ and have a conscience clean. Let us all look to the Lord and really sing this with all of our heart and revive our souls today. Yes, Lord, we come to you. We may be going through problems and difficulties. A lot of issues in this world. But thank you once again for reminding us there is a great future ahead. Help us not to decide who God is because of our present status, but help us to decide who God is for what is going to give us in the future, that is heaven. Help us, Lord, not to take your love for granted. Yes, Lord, your love is not based on our moral performance. Your love is based on Yourself, because you are loving, you are love, loving us. Because you are a loving God, you are loving us. That's it. But help us at the same time not to take your grace and love for granted. Thank you so much for the new covenant. The new covenant has given us access to draw near to you always. Thank you so much for bringing down the barriers, bringing down the walls which are between God and between God and us. Because of your Son, by the blood of Lord Jesus Christ, we can approach you always. Thank you for this new covenant. Help us to make every effort to draw near to you in our problems, in our difficulties, in our sufferings, help us to draw near to you. Help us to confess our sin and draw near to you. Help us to make every effort in our day-to-day -day lives and draw near to you. Thank you so much for the future hope you have given to us through your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. 
thank you lord jesus for your death on the cross thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross which made us the children of the living god where we can come to god 24 by 7 and we can approach his throne 24 by 7 and it's only because of your sacrifice on the cross thank you for reminding us once again the the magnanimity of our sin and also the magnanimity of your grace and love through the gospel and because of the gospel lord we are living as christians and help us to be steadfast christians i confess lord i am failing each and every day we confess that we are failing each and every day help us to be solid christians help us to be strong christians where we can hope for our future because of your son lord jesus christ thank you so much for reminding us once again thank you so much for rebuking once again through your word today help us to make every effort to grow as solid steadfast strong christians to live and die for your glory in jesus name we offer this prayer amen thank you for listening to the message we believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart steven david also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation you may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com i repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com you may also email him at cstevendavid@gmail.com i repeat c s t e p h e n d a v i d @gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.